The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. All through the years of Jesus' recorded ministry, one thing about him kept the people spellbound. And that was uh, the thing that is his ability to say things in, in a manner in which they had never been said before. As we go through the Gospels, it proves uh, this beyond question. The, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, the Bible says that the people were astonished at his doctrine because he had taught with power and authority. In Luke chapter 4, and verse number 22, the people who heard him speak here uh, were again amazed at the power of his spoken word. Even his enemies were astounded at the words that Jesus spoke. And, and they said, the officers answered, never a man spake like this man. When we take a few moments to consider some of the things that Jesus said in the scriptures, we can see why the people were astonished. Jesus made some truly great statements, didn't he? Some truly amazing things. Think about what he said in John chapter 8 and verse 58, before Abraham was, I am. Boy, identify himself to be Jehovah God, Yahweh, the one uh, that was there uh, where Moses at the burning bush, hey, I am that I am, tell I am that I am, sent you. In John chapter 10 and verse number 30, Jesus makes an astounding statement, one that still perplexes us when it comes to the Trinity and the Godhead. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He that hath seen me has seen the Father. Uh, John chapter 14 and verses 1 and uh, uh, 2 and 3, he says, uh, wrapping it up, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What an astounding statement. In Revelation chapter 22, we hear the voice in the future of the Savior saying, Surely I come quickly. In uh, John chapter 6 and verse 47, he said this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Every single one uh, of those statements is a gold mine of theological truth, and it's absolutely necessary. In our understanding of who Jesus is and who Jesus Christ is and in full and complete manhood and full and complete uh, part of the Godhead and deity. And uh, However, in this passage that we've looked at tonight, there's a statement made by Jesus that may be just the single greatest thing uh, that he ever uttered. I know that's a big statement, but everything else he said and did either stands or falls on the truth of the statement that he made in verse number 30 of our text. As Jesus was preparing to give his life uh, as a ransom for sin, the Bible tells us, that he made this simple statement, it is finished. You know, for years, uh, liberals and unbelievers have declared that this cry of Jesus from the cross is is a cry of defeat. They say that it's a word of a man who's lost everything. Uh, And however, you and I know that they're a million miles from the truth when you think about that. Are you with me tonight, church? You know, uh, the English phrase is from a word that's very expressive and filled with meaning. In fact, it's a word that was used in many areas of society, some of which uh, uh, we see and understand. As you think about what Jesus said in the words, he said those three words have great impact, don't they? They had a deeper meaning than what uh, was maybe perceived to be on the surface. We hear from Jesus not only uh, just his direct words and it is finished, but we hear uh, what he would have said in being finished as servant's words. That word finished would have been used when a task had been completed by a servant. 
when he was done his job, when he had completed all that he had come to do and all that he had been called to do, when he was done, when he was finished, he would uh, make that statement. Not only do we see it as a servant's word, but we see it as a priest's word. It was used when a sacrificial animal was found to be worthy. When he would look at that animal, that sacrifice is a worthy sacrifice, he would use that same word that Jesus used, that word finished, meaning acceptable. Uh, yes, an acceptable sacrifice. Uh, a sacrifice that God would have been approved of. It was a servant's word. It was a priest's word. It was a farmer's word. It was used when a perfect specimen had been born into the flock. When he would look on that lamb, and it was a word that John referenced when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. It was an artist's word used when the final touches had been applied to a masterpiece. It was a a merchant's word used when a, a deal had been struck and all the haggling had ended. Its usage meant that both parties were fully satisfied. If you think about uh, what needed to be satisfied at the cross when Jesus said it is finished, he was literally saying that both parties had been fully satisfied. The deal had been done, that God's wrath had been poured about out on him, that his sacrifice was acceptable uh, to God on our behalf, and that everything that needed to be done for our redemption was complete, was done at the cross This was a cry of one who just won a great victory. This was not a cry of defeat. We need to understand that when Jesus Christ said these words, he was telling the world that something great had been accomplished. In fact, there's uh, three great matters uh, that were forever settled the day that Jesus died on the cross. And I want to focus on those three things tonight before we uh, partake of these elements. Number one, the pain. The pain was finished. If you think about the pain on the cross, if you look at verse number 28, In our text, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saying, I thirst, there was pain, there was suffering, there was need. The death that Christ died on the cross was one of absolute torture. And I want you tonight, just allow me in your mind's eye to refresh your mind about the terrible price that Jesus paid for you and I on the cross. The Bible tells us in Matthew, in chapter number 27, that he was scourged. In Luke in chapter 22 that he was beaten. In Matthew Matthew 27, 30 that he was spit upon. Matthew 27, 26 through 29 that he was mocked. Uh, Matthew 27 that he was nailed to the cross. Matthew 27 that he was stripped naked. That uh, Isaiah 50 tells us that the beard was plucked from his face. You think about the, the marred visage of the Savior, the, the picture of that suffering servant who, who bled and died for us. He did all of these things uh, as fulfillment of the prophecy, as, as what God had foretold what would have to happen, that he would be wounded for our transgressions, that he would be bruised for our iniquities, that the chastisement of our peace would be upon, that by his stripes we would be healed. That these truths don't even begin to scratch the surface of Jesus and how he suffered for you and for me. His was a bitter cup, but it was one that he drank of willingly. Can I remind you tonight that Jesus said, Nobody takes my life except I lay it down. Jesus went to the cross. He offered himself. He laid himself down. He he didn't go to the cross like a martyr uh, for his faith, believing uh, in in what he believed in and and laying himself down uh, 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 so so as to not recant his faith. He went as a savior to die, laying himself down, laying himself down for us all. Uh, We see not only the the pain, but we see the shame. There was pain which the Savior endured for you you and I, but there was also shame. Think about what Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 2 tells us, that he despised the shame. 
He was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Son of God was stripped naked before the world and nailed to the cross. He endured the most shameful death that anyone could ever know. In fact, the crucifixion was one of the primary reasons the Jews refused to believe on Jesus Christ because cursed is he which hangs on a tree. You think about the fact that Jesus became a curse for you and I so that we could receive uh, redemption, so that we could receive forgiveness. There was the shame, but also there was the judgment. There was severe pain. There was cruel shame, but perhaps the greatest agony Jesus suffered while on the cross was the judgment that came from his Father. When Jesus was on the cross, he literally became the sins of the world. The Bible says he was made to be, what, sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Father, unable to tolerate sin in his presence, judged Jesus as if he were every sinner that ever lived. This was the greatest agony that Jesus was forced to endure. He cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The Godhead was rent. There was separation between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus, uh, the God-man, became Jesus, the suffering sinner for us all. He became sin for us who knew no sin. He literally took all of God's wrath on the cross. He took our hell, he took our our shame, he took our punishment. Uh, He took it all for us because he loved us. Why did he suffer these things? Why did the Lamb of God willingly offer up his life as an atonement for our sins? Well, I believe the Bible discloses to us two profound reasons. Because he loved us. Because he loved us, but because he wanted to prove his love to us. I think it's amazing that God not only tells us that he loves us, but he demonstrates his love to us. That's what the Bible says, but God demonstrated his love. God commendeth his love toward us. That what? While we were yet sinners, Christ died. For God so loved the world. He says that he loves us, but he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You think about the pain that Jesus suffered on the cross and the pain that Jesus suffered on the cross is the pain that you and I should have to have had to endure for all of eternity. The pain of separation, the pain of judgment, the, the shame and the, uh, of our sinfulness and of our guilt. Uh, these, these, this is pain that you and I deserve to suffer not just one day, not just in moments, but for all of eternity you and I would have to suffer in the way that Jesus suffered on the cross. What a sobering thought to think about what hell uh, and judgment and shame you and I deserve uh, to enter into because of our sinfulness. But God, who is rich in mercy, with a great love, the Bible says, wherewith he loved us. Aren't you glad for God's rich mercy? Aren't you glad that he loves mercy? That That he offers mercy? Uh, you think of a God who's so just and so holy. Uh, we, we're talking about a thrice holy God, friend. A God who cannot stand, uh, who sinners cannot stand before. Uh, a God who, who cannot have sin in his, in his presence. Or talking about a thrice holy God was willing to take our sin on himself. To willing to come and die for us. Number one, tonight the pain was finished. Number two, the plan was finished. The plan was finished. As you look through the text, uh, the Bible tells us that all of these things were now accomplished in verse 28, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. 
Aren't you glad that everything that God says comes to pass? Everything that God says comes to pass. you believe that tonight? If you believe that, say amen. Everything that God says comes to pass. Not one word that God says will fall incomplete. Not one thing that God says will come to pass will not come to pass. Everything that God says forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now God's word is true. God's word is pure. God's word is quick and powerful. God's word is profitable to us, church, what? For doctrine and proof and correction and instruction and righteousness. And when you think about this plan that God had, this was not a plan that God came up when we sinned. This is a plan that God had before we sinned. This is a plan that God had before we were created. This is a plan that God had set in motion before these things. Boy, I don't know about you, but that just blows my mind. Think about a God who is willing to create us knowing that we would rebel against Him knowing that we would disobey Him. We think about all that God is able to show us about His nature through our fall. All that God is able to reveal to us about who He is through our failures. I tell you, we've failed, but God has never failed. The plan was finished. When Jesus reached the end of His ministry on the cross, He was finishing a work that had begun before the world was ever formed, Revelation 13 tells us. From the beginning of time, God had always planned to send His Son to die for sinners. This was His promise to Adam in Genesis chapter number 3. This was portrayed in the offerings and sacrifices of the tabernacle and temple. Everything that God did pointed to this day when Jesus would lay down His life on the cross. Well, when we read the Old Testament, it's just all throughout, isn't it? You see Jesus throughout in each and every sacrifice, in each and every uh, uh, place of worship, in each and every element within the tabernacle, in each and every uh, stone and structure within the temple, in each and every law and practice that God gives. Behind all of these things, we see all of them as markers pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. In each and every person that He highlights in the Scriptures. The Bible tells us in Hebrews that we're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. They all, what, point to the Lord Jesus Christ. They all point to Him in faith. They all typify Him. We think about all these that uh, God gave so much and blessing to, but yet in in, in their human form failed. The greatest of the great in the Old Testament, the heroes of the faith, boy, they were full of failures. Their plans uh, didn't come to fruition. They didn't always follow through. They didn't always keep the commandments. They didn't always do what they said. They didn't always fulfill the promise. But can I tell you, we have a greater, greater, greater one in Jesus Christ than any of these uh, that we see typifying Him and showing us Him. And all of these things come to naught. All the elements uh, come to conclusion. All the sacrifices end up incomplete without the Lord Jesus Christ because none of it, none of it would be worth any of it without the Lord Jesus Christ coming on the scene. Everything God did pointed to this day when Jesus would lay down His life on the cross. Since the dawn of time when man sinned in the Garden of Eden, God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. In Genesis chapter 3, death, suffering, and bloodshed were always a part of mankind's coming to the Lord. We see it in Genesis 4 when Abel brought a lamb to be offered. We find it in Genesis chapter 8 when Noah offered a sacrifice after the flood. We see it in Exodus 12 when the children of Israel killed the Passover lamb on the eve of the Exodus from Egypt. We see it on the Day of Atonement when the lambs were killed to make atonement for the people. 
We see it in the blood that was shed for the thousands of years. It would run like a vast river if it were collected and allowed to flow together. However, all of this bloodshed and all this death and suffering saved no one. Look at Hebrews chapter number 10 tonight with me. Would you turn there quickly? Hebrews in chapter number 10. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 11, And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected for every Uh, forever them that are sanctified. Did you get that tonight? For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Hey, if you remember tonight, uh, those that are justified will be sanctified. Those that are sanctified uh, will be glorified. And through one offering, he's perfected forever every, every, every one of them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I what? Will I remember no more? Uh, Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. How many glad that your sin tonight is in remission because of the Lord Jesus Christ? Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. I would would challenge you to write down those let us commands in this passage. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promise. Let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many glad that the plan was finished, that everything that Jesus Uh, came to do, he did, and nothing was left undone. All that blood and all that death did one thing. It merely rolled the sins of one offering, the sacrifice ahead for a period of time. It, It withheld the judgment of God because the person offering the sacrifice did so in the knowledge that a more complete sacrifice was coming on one day. Those Old Testament believers were saved by faith, just like men are saved today. They were saved by looking forward to a promised Messiah who would die for sins, while we're saved by looking back to the promised Messiah who did die for sins. While the Old Testament sacrifices did nothing to remove the sins of the people, the death of Jesus on the cross did everything to deal with the issue of sin forever. Look at the powerful verses that we just read. This, is, this great plan was, was formulated in the ivory palaces of glory before the mud seals of this old world were ever formed. It was perfectly, completely, and forever finished when the Lamb of God died on the cross, and with it took away the sins of the world. Everything God requires to make men righteous and to take away their sins is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. Everything God requires to make men righteous and take away their sins is found in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's just one means of salvation, regardless of who and I 
or you must be washed in the blood of Jesus if you expect to see heaven. We sang tonight, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We said, number one, the pain of redemption was finished. The the plan was finished. And then lastly tonight, the payment. The payment was finished. As I mentioned in the introduction, the message, this phrase that Jesus uttered was a business or merchant term. It was used when a deal had been reached between two parties and both were satisfied. And when Jesus said it is finished, it meant that God the Father in heaven was satisfied with what Jesus' the Son had done on the cross. God accepted the Son's death and shed blood as the perfect payment for our sins. Why is that so important? That's why the Bible can tell us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That, that word propitiation in the Bible, it, it carries the idea of appeasing. It literally refers to the covering of the Ark of the Covenant or the place where the blood was applied on the Day of Atonement. Literally, Jesus is that which satisfies and appeases the wrath of God. You think about that. That's what they had to do when they went into that holy place to offer that sin offering. They would take the blood from that lamb that was slain and they had to go and they had to sprinkle it on the mercy seat on that Ark of the Covenant between the cherubs that covered that place, that holy of holy places, the place where the priest would have to go through all of that process of washing as a reminder to him that nobody could enter into the presence of God in an unclean way, that nobody could come to God unless they were made pure, and that there was no offering for sin except the shedding of blood. There would be no remission of sin. And as he would sprinkle that blood on there, uh, that blood would be a propitiation. That would be an appeasing of the wrath of God. It would hold back the judgment of God. It would hold back the wrath of God. But you think about how many times yearly, yearly, year after year and year after year, they would have to do that. They offered the burn offerings and they offered the sin offerings and they offered the blood offerings and year after year. And all of this was a reminder. They went in and the priest would go in, the priest would go in, the priest would go in to that place. And then when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, what happened to the Holy of Holies? What happened to the veil? Well, the veil was split from top to bottom. Why? Because now there was no more need for a mediator and a a high priest, a man to come and offer a lamb or the blood of a lamb for the sins of the nation because the lamb of God had now become the propitiation. He was the forever propitiation. He was the forever atonement. He was the forever. He was the the atonement that all of these sacrifices had pointed to before. And now Jesus had done once what all of that blood could not do. He had done it once There was no more need for the sacrifices. There were no more need for the holy place. There was no more need for the temple. Think about that. Because now, as believers, we become the temple. We become holy as he's holy. That holy place is within us. Can you think about that tonight? The holy of holies is within your heart. That holy place, that place where we meet with God... We don't have to go to a physical place to meet with God. That God is here. He has come. He indwells us. His spirit is within us. His blood has been applied to us. You think about that blood's been applied to that place, that holy place in your heart. 
And now there was a place that was full of sinfulness, a, a place that was full of judgment, a full, of, a full of shame and uh, full of regret and full of condemnation. And now, now the, the heart is what? Whiter than snow, the Bible says, because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He became the propitiation. Jesus is that which satisfies and fully appeases the wrath of God. Isn't it amazing that sometimes that we could think that our works could ever satisfy or appease the wrath of God? That there's anything that you and I could ever even do to get God to be okay with what we've done, with the sinfulness of mankind since the beginning of time, the disgusting display of rebellion. Uh, We were by wrath. uh, We were under judgment. We were uh, of our father, the devil. We, We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Oh, we need to remember how bad the sinfulness in our condition was because if we don't, we'll never understand the magnitude of His grace and sacrifice. Sometimes, are you with me? We minimize, we minimize the sin. We minimize, and sometimes we don't think about this, but when we minimize our sinful conditions, we also minimize the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. What we need to understand is the magnitude of our sin. Uh, the, 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 the deep destruction, uh, the defilement, the, 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 the heart of men, the Bible says, desperately wicked above all things. Why would we ever come to God and say, there's, well, my heart's just kind of, you know, kind of wicked or kind of sinful. I'm not, too, I'm not so bad. And listen, we are so bad that even our righteousness is corrupt. Even our good works is corrupt. Even our good works are poorly motivated, selfishly motivated, self-glorification. We're looking for the credit. We're looking for the glory. Even our good works is corrupt. Even when we try to do good, our sin is still associated with our goodness. That's why Jesus said, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. Because of the sin, it's, 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 it's made even our good works putrid, disgusting, unappeasing to God, unappealing to God. But what Jesus did appeased The payment finished. This is good news for us. We could never be good enough to get to God. The Bible plainly tells us the best way we can uh, do is is like filthy rags and look at ourselves like filthy rags in the sight of the Lord. The Bible goes so far to remind us that we are no good, right? Romans chapter 3, there's none that doeth good. No, not one. At our very best, we're only sinners. Have you, because you're familiar with the word sinner, has it lost its magnitude to you? Has it lost its weight to you? Come on, we say it all the time. And sometimes, if we're being honest as Christians, we kind of say it as a buzzword. We kind of loosely throw it around. You know, Christians aren't perfect. We're just forgiven. We kind of talk about sinfulness and we kind of make light of it. Listen, if we're not careful, we become like a church in the, in the, in the New Testament that kind of took the, the Lord's table lightly because they took their own sinfulness lightly. And so, therefore, they took the grace of God lightly. What happens when we take the grace of God lightly? Well, we turn the grace of God into a license to do what we want. We turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, the Bible says, an excuse for ourselves. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can do that. The magnitude of our sinfulness was so great, but so was the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Since Jesus has satisfied the Father, then I don't have to. Do you get that tonight? Because Jesus has appeased and pleased the Lord, I don't have to. The pressure is off me to please God. Did you get that? 
The, the pressure is off me to try to please God. So many of us, that's somewhat of our struggle. We, we theologically articulate so, so wrongly sometimes when we talk about how pleasing we are to God because of what we do, because of how we act, because of where we go, because of the way we live. We talk about how pleasing, how pleasing, how pleasing we are. Listen, we're only pleasing to God because of the blood of Jesus Christ. When we put ourselves in that position, almost prop ourselves up and say, oh, I'm somewhat pleasing to God because of what I'm doing. What do you take away from? The propitiation, the appeasement of the wrath of God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood. It takes the pressure off of me to try to please God because I can't please God. I can't. You know what I need to do? You, you, what you and I need to do? We need to fall at His feet. We, we need to come before Him and understand who we are and who He is and just fully rest in Him. Some people would say, oh, that's, that's you know, well, what, what about works? What about works? I understand that we show our faith by our works. I read the book of James. I, I understand it. I understand that works comes as a byproduct. I understand that works comes from the overflow. I, I understand that works comes as a reasonable response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, every epistle in the Bible starts with what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done, what Jesus has done, before it ever even asks anything of us. Because none of us could do anything without what he did. In other words, what He has done enables us to do. And now by His grace, we now have been supernaturally enabled to do His will. We could never do His will without Him. We could never act or perform in a righteous way without Him. We could never, we could never even appease God in any way except for Him and what He's done. It's His righteousness at work in our life, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, for God hath before ordained, before ordained that we should walk in them. The payment was finished. What does it mean for us? Well, it means that we don't have to work for our salvation. How many glad for that? We do not have to work for our salvation. You with me tonight? Even if we tried, we could never please the Lord because we will never be more than sinners. He is already pleased with Jesus. If I'm found in Jesus, I'll be accepted by God because of my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our peace. Uh, You know, I have peace with God because of Jesus. And I have the peace of God because of Jesus. Aren't you glad that not only you have the peace, peace with God, but you have the peace of God? So now between me and God, there's no war, there's no enmity, there's no separation. Now there's just a door. Now there's just access. Now there's just a throne that I can come boldly to, to find grace to help in time of need, that Jesus is that door by which we have access. Uh, There's only one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews that he ever lives to what? To make intercession for us. That's why Jesus never loses any of his children. He never loses any of his sheep. Nobody that's ever come to God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved by grace in Christ alone has ever been lost. He loses none of his children. You say, well, what about this or what about this? Listen, I would submit to you that sometimes we're pointing to people who made professions who never knew him. The Bible warns us about that day. There'll be many that come in that day and say, what? Did we not? Did we not? Did we not? You notice the basis of their coming is their own works. The basis of their coming is not the works of the Savior, not the sacrifice of the Savior. The basis of their coming is, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? And we added your name to it. 
We need to be in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It means we don't have to work for our salvation. If I can be found in him, I'll be accepted by God. Number two, it means that we don't have to try to be good. We don't have to try to be good. You say, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm trying to be good. No, no. Christian, we don't have to try to be good. We just rest in his righteousness. We submit to him. If we walk in the spirit, we'll not fulfill the lusts of our flesh. If we allow him to have his way, Listen, I don't have to try to be good. I don't have to posture myself. I don't have to make myself. I don't have to discipline myself. I don't have to force myself. I can just allow him to have his way. You say, is it that simple? It really is that simple. But sometimes we complicate it, don't we? Yes, there's things that we need to stay away from. There's things that we don't need, uh, that we shouldn't do. But I'm not trying to be good tonight. I know that I'm a sinner saved by his grace. I'm good because Christ is good. How about this? It means that our salvation comes to us on the basis of pure, simple faith. On the basis of pure, simple faith. We're talking this morning, I was talking to actually several people about this. Sometimes, I think, well-motivated, we ask the question, was there a time in your life where you've called upon the name of the Lord and been saved? I think that's a fair question. I think it's a good question. I think everybody should look back to a time where they have received Taking God at His word by faith, I think being born again is instantaneous. It happens in a moment. I think we should think about that. I think we should ponder that. But I think a greater question is to all of us is not the day that you prayed a prayer, but who are you trusting in? Who are you trusting? Are are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone? I mean, presently. Are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone? I, I think that's an important question for us is, who, is, who are you looking to for your salvation? Is it the church? Is it other Christians? Is it mom and dad? Is it their testimonies? Is it, or is it Jesus Christ alone? Are you looking to Jesus? Because in Jesus it, truly, it is truly finished, God asks no more of you than for you to place your faith in the work that Jesus finished on the cross. You know why he asks no more of you? Because there's nothing that you can do. How could he ask us who are dead to do anything? There's nothing we can do. All we can do is respond to the faith that he's given us. All we can do is respond to the, the offering that he's, the invitation that he's extended to us. You know, he, he is the one that does the saving, isn't he? he? He is the one that does the work in the hearts of man. The Holy Spirit of God. You know uh, what that has done for me? Well, for me as a pastor, that has really helped me in preaching because I took the pressure off myself thinking that I had to accomplish something through the message. You know, I understand that my job is not to accomplish anything through the message, but just to preach the message. That's it. My job is just to make sure that what I preach is in the Word of God, and at the end of the day, you know what I do? I just trust that the Holy Spirit of God does the work in the hearts of men. Because I can't drum anything up in the flesh. I can't do a work of God. Only the Holy Spirit can... You know, I I tell you tonight that I really wish the Holy Spirit of God would get a hold of some hearts. You know, some of us, we are so cold and so complacent. And and, uh, some of us, we, you know, we kind of go through the motions of things. And if we're we're not careful, we've lost our joy. We've lost uh, our motivation, our proper motivation. Perhaps we've, uh, at first, when we've done well and following after God, there are times where uh, we kind of 
slipped away and we haven't, uh, we haven't been looking to Jesus the way that we should. We haven't been in His Word the way that we should. We haven't been following after Him, yielding to Him the way that we should. I understand that none of us are perfect, but let me ask you, are you just okay with being okay? Are you just be okay with being kind of comfortable in your Christianity, not really being a little complacent, a little cold, a little distant? Are you just okay with that? I mean, are we okay with just allowing another day to pass, another sermon to pass, another moment to pass? Can I ask you a question? If Jesus Christ came back right now, would you, in your heart, would you be fearful of that moment or would you be looking to that moment? Would you be fearful of that moment because you'd be afraid that you have not either received Him as Savior truly or that you have not done with your life what God has called you to do? You haven't been obedient to Him. You haven't followed Him. Do you love His appearing? Because the Bible says the believers do. Love His appearing. We look to His appearing. Or let me ask you this. Are you hoping that He doesn't come back anytime soon because you just love this world so much? You love this world so much. Well, I want to see this happen. I want to do this. I want to accomplish this. I want to live long enough. Listen, it's amazing that some people talk about the return of Christ in fear because they're afraid that if Jesus comes back, they won't get to go on their vacation. Jesus comes back, they won't get to have the fun. You know, you know what it shows? Well, I believe in many cases it shows a person has never been saved. Why? Because they're not loving the appearing of Christ. They're loving this present world. Let's be honest, Christian, it's easy to fall in love with the world. That's why he commands us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. But the Bible says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's a big point, isn't it, in the gospel? If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, that's something not, to not just kind of frivolously pass by. Am I in love with the world or I'm in love with Jesus? Wouldn't it be sad that all of these things were done on our behalf by the Lord Jesus Christ and we just kind of roll our eyes and kind of want to get back to our, I just can't wait till this all is over. I, you know, I, I, it's, it's kind of sad to me sometimes as a pastor when you get up to preach and you look at people and they look like not only are they not hungering and thirsting, but they just don't care. I just can't wait to get out of here so I can get back to my life and get back to my schedule and get back to what I want to do. Because I'm not really here to get in. I'm just here to get out. Listen, when we think about what Jesus has done for us, does it cause us to worship? Does it deepen our love for Him? Listen, I believe that it's so important that we come together as a body for the Lord's table because I believe that there's a necessary component within the church that happens if not because I believe through it we see discipline. You know, if, if I'm not living the way that I should. I should not partake of the Lord's table if I'm not confessed my sins, if I'm not walking in the Spirit, if I'm living, if I've got areas of, of unrepentant sin in my life. Boy, you know, you know what that's not supposed to do? It's not supposed to excuse me from the Lord's table and say, well, I just won't partake every time that we have it. You know, I, I would, if, if you could just do that, I would be afraid for my soul tonight. If you could just cast off the Lord's table, and just say, well, I just won't partake. I just won't. I just keep living how I'm living. I just won't partake. If you could just do that, I would be afraid in my soul tonight. I, I would 
cast myself at the mercy of God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, forgive me. I repent of my sin and trust in you. Jesus Christ paid it all at great cost. At great cost. I think it's wonderful that as a country, remember those that have paid the ultimate price for our freedom. Don't you? I love uh, that we have a respect and love for the military. I, I love that we love America. Patriotism. I'm thankful to be an American tonight. How about you? I'm thankful for those that have paid the ultimate price. I love history. I, I love to, to read about those that have, have given hazard their lives and their fortunes. They gave everything for something that they believed was worth giving their lives for. Jesus spoke of this, didn't he? He said that, you know, for a good man, some would even dare to die. He, he talked about those that would give their lives for good causes. But then we think about Jesus who gave his life for enemies, who gave his life for sinners, who gave his life for not, not, not the cause of some great thing, but he gave his life for the cause, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the cause of redemption for our souls and our sinfulness. Because in Jesus it is truly finished, God asks no more of you than for you to place your faith in the work that Jesus finished on the cross. If you can accept the truth that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead the third day, that, he hid, that his shed blood will wash away your sins, then the Bible says you can be saved. Saved to the uttermost. Aren't you, aren't you glad that it's finished tonight? If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.